You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I'm James Creppy and he is Aaron Fentress. And uh, welcome back. Uh, it's been a minute uh, since we last uh, had an edition of the podcast. Uh, not a uh, planned outage of exactly as long as it ended up being. That wasn't that crazy, grand scheme of things. It was just, I think, right around, just under about a month, right around four weeks. Um, we did have one plan, I want to say it was a week or two ago, but, uh, the NBA season threw a little bit of a snafu in there, uh, for, uh, for Aaron and stuff. So that's part of why we had a little bit of a hiatus as long as it did. However, we will the try trade and trade deadline. Ah, uh, yes. Trade the, deadline just that little ruined thing. me for like 10 days. Anyway, go ahead. That, that little thing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> did, did anything happen? Uh, you know, I, I, mean, I, uh, I think they traded like 15 players or ah, something like that. So. Not an exaggeration. So, uh, so like I said, with that, that was part of it. And then, you know, just matching up schedules and all those sorts of things. So anyway, that's why. Um, but with that, we will try and, uh, canvas a good amount of, uh, topics here, uh, mainly on obviously the winter sports, spring sports getting underway, uh, will be some of our areas here. And yes, we'll talk some football as well as obviously in, in the interim, uh, and in high hiatus that we were on, uh, signing day happened, uh, which of course, uh, for those of you who listen to our recruiting podcast with Andrew Nemec, I'm sure he canvassed a large amount of that, uh, in gross detail, uh, at the time, but we will, but which is kind of, you know, it's his wheelhouse. It's his baby. It's what he does. Right, um, right. so, you know, we were, we were not going to get into it, uh, quite as much as him regardless. Uh, but, uh, we will circle back to that a little bit when we discuss football here when we get to it. But to that point, uh, since the last edition, uh, and that's kind of the framing of which, um, some of the conversation will be had here because we're, we're covering a, good amount of time uh but since we last spoke aaron uh yep. the oregon men were at that point uh, i believe on an eight game win streak were right around there and uh, they had worked themselves really onto the bubble and then since we last spoke they worked themselves onto and ahead of the bubble uh but since then that bubble has since burst uh they have had really quite a uh really up and down Kind of a season, uh, really. To, if you really want to be uh, not just cliche with it, a down, then very much up, and now right back down again. Kind of a season, a very uh, you know an unusual one in that way. Uh, certainly for Dana Altman team, especially a team in the roster composed in the manner that it is with so many veterans um, and with the you know with the presence that it has, this isn't exactly, you would not call this a young team. Yes, there is youth and I know everything is youth in, in college, but the, the main, <clears throat> the main uh, lead players on this team are veterans. 
Uh, and, and again, they take more transfers than anyone in college basketball. And yet here we are late February, uh, right when we're usually talking about, uh, an Altman team, you know, taking that high step trajectory, uh, into the NCAA tournament. We're talking about this team, not just on the outside looking in so far on the outside that I, I don't know if I, not just so I not know, but I, I'm quite confident that even if they sweep their remaining four regular season games, and even take two games in Las Vegas. I don't think that mathematically, I don't think mathematically that'll be enough. I think they have really? to get the auto bid. I don't think they've given themselves enough runway here by the caliber of opponents they'd be playing. Yes, they have the LA schools at home here this weekend. They've got to go to the Washington schools after that. And then we don't know exactly who the matchups will be in Vegas. Um, if they secure a top four seed, which is still an if right now. Um, but regardless, I, I don't think if they did it, I don't think if they went six straight wins and then a loss, I don't know if that's going to be enough. I honestly bet crunching the numbers. They'd be 23 and 11 and, and would have swept the California schools. Yeah. And, they'd, and that's they'd, all they'd they would have done. Fourth. They'd be at least fourth in the conference, but you don't think I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying you're wrong. I'm just literally just. Yeah, that's where that, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately here, um, that's, that's kind of the position they put themselves in. Cause on the high end of their resume, yeah, you're right. They'd be, they would have swept the LA schools. And yes, that is still possible. That is the thing that this weekend, that if you're a Ducks fan and you're trying to hold out any glimmer of hope for an at large bid, that's the thing you, you know, you're still hanging your hat on. The problem is, is that this team has suffered some just absolute clunker losses that not just were bad at the time that are bad now and will be bad on selection Sunday. They have no chance of getting better. And those are the things that are not going to be overcome, you know, being swept by Arizona state and losing to Cal, you know, with two of those three losses at home, those are, those are the ones that like, that's why I say, I don't think beating the LA schools is going to be the thing that overcomes it. And they didn't just lose the ASU and Cal; they got smoked. Yeah, I mean that. Those are like yeah. when you look at when you no, look the, at the, schedule, the one ASU schedule. lost. The one ASU lost back in December was well. I mean, overtime. yeah, I mean, yeah. The re, I mean, recently since yes, I mean since the they had their months, surge yes. Yes. in the last several games, which has yeah. caused all this this turmoil for them. They got beat double digits, fourteen in both games, to two yeah. pretty mediocre to bad teams. I mean that like had those been quality teams, maybe things wouldn't be quite as dire. No is, question. Is no, no, yeah. no, no, no question. It's it's yeah. because of where they fall on on the, all the various analytics, and um, you could you could even say, well, where they fall in conference standings. Well, naturally, if you're lower in the conference standings, your analytics probably aren't going to be as very good. But if you lost to, for an example, um, if you lost to the. 10th or 11th or 12th place team in the SEC. That alone would not knock you out if you had the caliber of wins to go with it. I mean, case in point, look at Alabama. They're, a fr- they're on the fringe of the top 25. They're basically in the top 25. And they because they have some of the very best wins in the country, they also have the two worst losses you can possibly have in the SEC by losing to Georgia and Missouri. So they have played to the caliber of the competition all season. The thing is, is that their schedule was such that they have wins that you go, how in the world did a team who lost to Georgia and Missouri also beat the collection of powerhouses 
that Alabama has beaten this season. That's the, you know, they are really all over the place, but they're the example of you can overcome really, really, really bad losses with extraordinary wins and not just one for one. They're, they're at a ridiculous clip. They're, again, their quadrant one wins are out of this, you know, absolutely out of this world. Oregon's. I love the, I love the terminology. Well, uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll, we'll probably get into that for a minute here for people. So, you know, because I realize not every basketball fan, even though it's like four years of doing this stuff, that not everybody's really got into it to that, to that level. Um, but point is, is their resume can overcome, you know, some real albatrosses there because the top end of it is so extreme. It's so outrageous. The problem for Oregon is that even though we talk about these last couple of games being of some ilk, and certainly the LA schools are good and they're bound for the tournament, um, even if they were to get swept by Oregon, quite frankly, in the regular season, UCLA and USC are bound for the tournament. But the difference is that even if they were to win those games and pick up two more of those caliber wins and, hell, even go to Pullman and beat Wazoo, which, you know, historically is not exactly a, a monumental achievement, though winning in Pullman has been a bit of a challenge um, for Oregon. Uh, but this year, you know, again, Wazoo, a better team, better in the math and the metrics than Oregon, even though in the conference standings, Oregon's ahead. Um, but even if they did those things and picked up those wins and Wazoo stays at the, at the height that they are on the resume and frankly more about uh, USC, quite honestly, because they're 24 and the cutoff is 30 to stay on, on paper at that height. Well, that would get Oregon to five and four in quadrant one. And again, I'll go over this a little bit more in, in the minutia in a second. But at five and four, that doesn't compare incredibly favorably when you start talking about against teams who have, you know, in that bubble conversation with them. Um, it's, it's solid. Don't get me wrong, but it's not outrageous. And the thing that's going to be a separator is for a lot of the other teams on the bubble, you know, they don't have those albatross losses. Case in point, a albatross team like, losses. I love it. It's, it's what it is. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the case in point is like a team like Florida. Well, a team like Florida does have one really just terrible loss, but they just beat Auburn at home. You know, the, the, that's the extreme. Oregon had games like that, had opportunities like that this past weekend with Arizona being one of them. But earlier in the season against Houston, they didn't just lose. They got run out, run out of the gym. You know, the Baylor game, they got up for it, lost a close one, closer even than the, the final margin of eight, you know, really reflective of. But nevertheless, their best three games on paper were all non Well, two were non-conference. One was on the road at Arizona, and they didn't win any of them. And had they won one of the three, even this Saturday with Arizona, I still think they would have been on the outside, but it would have been the last glimmer of hope being breathed back into the resume. Had they taken two of the three, oh my goodness, we're talking about a totally different situation if they had won two of those three games. But to lose all three, that misses in a big way. And again, it doesn't mean that beating the L.A. schools, sweeping the L.A. schools potentially, is not of value or meaning. It's just, I don't believe based on the math of where they find themselves at this juncture that it'll be enough. So having said all that, um, how much have you been able to, uh, to see, uh, granted that, uh, you're quite tied up at the, uh, in the midst of 
the NBA season, and not just an NBA season, but an NBA season where, as we were talking about, yeah. uh, many transactions and uh, new names um, and faces to be uh, getting acquainted with. So how much have you had a chance yeah, to Yeah, uh, I haven't seen a ton, with? and I was on the road uh, the, the week of those losses. Um, oh, you mean Pac-12 the, the, Network the Cal, wasn't available, were you? The Cal, the Cal loss was Saturday before the Super Bowl, right? The Cal the loss... 12? The Cal loss will be a date that lives in infamy. No, I, I, yeah, it was, uh, it that was, was the 12th. 12th. Yeah, I think that yeah, was before was the Super Bowl. Yes, yeah. Yes. Cause then I, yeah, cause then yes. I went in yes. Monday night, I was at the Blazers Bucks game the night of the Washington State win and then actually, uh, traveling back the night of the ASU loss. So, hey, I have not seen time. I did go watch some highlights. I've checked out the box scores. I see they can't shoot. <laughs> I saw the game where half the team was one of six, oh of seven, three of 12 or whatever. That's been a more uh, recent development can, that's been ni- particularly ugly, yes. Yeah, and those nights can happen. But what's crazy is that had they played the way they played against Arizona against Arizona State and Cal, they'd probably win those games going away. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's what, that's what Altman said after the game. Um, from that one on Saturday was, you know, I, you know, disappointed by, you know, outcome, obviously they, they're playing to win and, you know, they went over the final sequence and what happened there, the final minute and every, you know, a couple of things that happened there. But ultimately he said, you know, like he, like he told the players, you know, the, the one thing he's upset about is that if they played like that all season, that, you know, Obviously, things would be different. He's like, you know, the thing thing is upset about is that they don't play that hard all the time. Mm-hmm. And and exactly to your point, you know, he doesn't have to go over the games. You know exactly which games. You know how different the, the year would be if you don't have two losses to Arizona State and Cal. That those are the, I, I don't even get on about losing to, to Colorado and splitting that one, or even losing to Stanford. I'll look past those two because even though they're not going to make the tournament. Um, Stanford, definitely not. And Colorado, I, they had a tremendous week last week for them. Um, in that they got three wins. That's the best you can, you know, three games. It's what you can do, but not tremendous because of the caliber of opponents. It's, it's a degree of context there. But having said that, they're still not going to make the tournament because of that, because they didn't beat anybody who was all that good. Right. So, but I'll look past those two losses because you can lose to teams in the middle of the league who are on the fringe, who are NIT bound kind of teams. You can't go two and five, which is what their record was, two and five against teams in the cluster of the middle, none of whom are making the NCAA tournament. You can't do it. You can't have that kind of a record. If you flip it and go five and two, that's a whole other world we're talking about. It's wildly different. Again, like it's, it's matter of like how bad each one of those losses was. The two to ASU and the Cal, ASA, without the extremes on the other end of having beaten Arizona or Houston or Baylor to offset that, those are what they are. That's why, like I say, you know, it's it's not hyperbolic. It just is. The math is so devastating to lose those games that it it is. It's murder to a schedule. And the thing is, unfortunately for Oregon and YSA, oh well, well. It's not just being a pessimist. Do I think they're going to win or lose? I'm not talking about whether I, I'm not projecting outcomes. I'm saying suspend disbelief. They win all the remaining games. One of the problems beyond relative challenges is the game at Washington, while vastly better than it was to start the season when Washington got off to a just absolutely dreadful first couple of weeks, as bad as Oregon's was. 
oh my goodness, was Washington's November just absolutely a train wreck. Hmm. So, you know, significantly better than that now. But Washington is at 135 in the net right now. That is borderline. That is the definition of borderline. They're on the cusp of quadrant two versus quadrant three. If they drop one spot, they drop to quadrant three. Well, at that, and by playing Oregon, that'll actually help the Huskies in terms of math standpoint. But I, but, but they also have to play Oregon State, which is going to crush their math. So point is, is that's probably going to be a quadrant three game. Therefore, it's going to have a little to no actual value. That's why I say, even if they beat the LAs, even if USC stays in quad one, which is not a given, that Washington will probably end up moving down. So it, the, the impact, the positive impact from playing and even beating good teams this weekend in the LA schools would be more than offset by playing and yes, even beating this Washington team. Um, so now to get into, I'm not going to explain every single bracket because that's not the point. It's, you know, if they, if we were really like, if they were ahead of the curve in this or in the bubble and projected in, maybe we would, but being that the, uh, Lenardi, I think is being a little, um, um, suspending a, giving a lot of benefit of the doubt here by way of still keeping them in the next four out group. So I think Joe tech at this point has them as like the seventh or eighth, somewhere in the six, seven or eight team out of the field. Um, but be that as it may, for those who are, when we hear about quadrants and all this stuff for resume evaluation, naturally with quadrants, there are four as logic would dictate. <laughs> One, one is better than two, which is better than three, better than four. It's just a different mechanism for evaluating the relative caliber of a game as a right. data point. Because the old system was RPI, which I don't think if you ask most people to actually tell you what the, de- what the true definition of RPI was, that they could. I don't think if you told most people, ask most people, most college basketball fans, what, how the formula for RPI was calculated, some of the real diehards did know. It was basically evaluating of re- relative wins, losses, strength of schedule kind of stuff, components thrown in there. But people figured out a way to game the system with that. They figured out a way mathematically to basically game it through scheduling in certain ways to make certain wins look a lot better than they actually were, in essence. Schedule a good RPI team and then beat their brains in and then your RPI looks that much more impressive when in reality, you know, that team may be okay, but you know, you kind of like inflated your numbers, relatively speaking. Here, the NCAA and coming up with this method basically tried to uh, bracket it off a little bit differently. So in essence, the easiest way to explain this is yes, there are four quadrants. One is better than two, better than et cetera, et cetera. But the range, the numeric range, that an opponent has to fall in to fall in each bucket, basically, varies based on whether or not you're at home, on a neutral site, or on the road. The range is more narrow at home because you have a home court advantage. Theoret- you know, not just theoretically, you, you do. I mean, that, that, that proves itself in college basketball that, you know, having home court advantage is a big thing. Neutral is a little bit wider. And winning on the road, that there is a premium to winning on the road and a recognition that it is significantly more difficult to do so 
So just as an example, and then again, if people want to find this, can look it up themselves. But to give people an idea, Quadrant 1, when we're referring to that, because Oregon has two two of those games this weekend and potentially, well, not just potentially, they will have a third uh, at Wazoo at the end of the season. Quadrant 1, for a home game, that's if an opponent is in the net between 1 and 30, or for a neutral site, 1 and 50, which comes into play because BYU is 55, so right now they're in Quadrant 2 on Oregon's resume, and they're a bubble team who they're competing with. And then for road games, it's 1 through 75. So that's just as an idea, as a point of reference. We're talking about Quadrant 1 or 2, 3, and 4. That's the issue. Um, So like I say, Oregon still has a couple of games left here, uh, certainly, but had a couple of games to improve their resume. But at the moment, I, yeah, I fall in the school of even if they manage to win out the regular season and win two games in the Pac-12 tournament, I still don't know if that's going to make a strong enough of an impact mathematically to actually get them in. I think they have to win three straight in Vegas, which is possible. We've seen it done before. We've seen Oregon do it before. We saw last season Oregon State do it. So it's, it can be done. But unfortunately... I just don't think for the Ducks that that they can win six straight and that that'll be sufficient. Um, yes, it'll still be a 20-plus win season. They could still have a 20-win season. Uh, all told, and generally speaking, historically, 20-win seasons are all well and good and, and now not just help you get to a tournament, but you're viewed as successful seasons. This would be one of those instances that if they don't make the tournament and and get to 20 wins, this would be that outlier kind of a year where we'd all look back and say, how did this team end up in the NIT? <laughs> and look, I understand how college basketball fans are. You know, for those who are really avid, you've been following this team, you know, for a while. But there are a lot of college basketball fans, a lot of passive college basketball fans, casual fans who tune in right around last weekend. And <laughs> right. that's the way it goes. I mean, I'm not knocking anybody. That's, that's what it is. I am, man. I, I, it's hard for me to get into college basketball until it's what it the is. NFL's over. Until the, right, until the NFL's over, until after the Super Bowl. I get it. I, I'm not, you know, not speaking ill of anybody. It's just that's, yeah. that's the reality of the sport. So with that, you know, here you saw Oregon play in Arizona, and it's a massive game and, a, you know, a world-class environment in McHale. Great environment, great setting. They played a great game, both teams. Um, and even though, yes, Oregon had been shooting uh, rather poorly the prior two weeks, they actually had a pretty good night, uh, both teams did, from the field in that game. But was the game in and of itself live up to the time of year and the setting? Absolutely. But the <laughs> as it was labeled and, and described on, on ESPN that night during the telecast, you know, Oregon, you know, it's not in for moral victories. They need this game. Yeah, they did. And again, even at the time heading into that, I was saying, I still don't know if they won that, that that was going to suffice. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't. It was close. Yes, they had some things laid and whatever. But ultimately, the final 11 and a half minutes, almost all of it was played within one possession. It was only briefly a five-point game for a matter of a couple of moments. So, grand scheme of things. Um in the big picture, it has probably been more of a disappointing year than a purely positive year. Right. Uh, again, unfortunately for them. But the power of March is that how you finish, and particularly 
um, conference tournaments and, and what those offer by way of uh, potential to make the NCAA tournament. And then once you're in there, then then you can really redefine things. With that still out there, there is a possibility for this team to still redefine its season. You know, it's not done yet. It's certainly appears to be headed in a certain direction. Again, I think this is a team that we're probably going to talk about in a few weeks that how did they end up in the NIT? Um, but again, it's not done yet. I'm not going to try to play, uh, you know, Nostradamus and, and project what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think we've all seen enough, uh, cases and evidence and examples of, uh, of a Dana Altman team really putting it together. But having said that, um, yeah, any, anytime, you know, before the season, we probably would have been saying, Hey, mid late February, they're going to be catching fire and it's not going to be having conversation of, are they on the bubble or are they just ahead of it? It would have been how high a seed are they? Are they potentially a national top 16? Uh, and, and that kind of thing. And here we are talking of, is there even a possibility of getting in at large or do they have to win in Vegas? It's a very different kind of a conversation. And I think that's why, you know, it's disappointing. That said, they're not the only Pac-12 team that's had a disappointing year. Um, Arizona State has had a disappointing year. Uh, obviously, Oregon State, I'm, you know, that's for a different podcast. But, yes, they've had a rather disappointing year. So it's been a tough year, an all-around tough year for basketball, Aaron, in the state of Oregon. I think, you, you know, you can – boy, I, I, you know, I blame Aaron. You know, he's on two of the three podcasts. Uh, actually, all three. You you have brought down all of the basketball teams in the state. <laughs> I haven't done any basketball Beavers podcast, so you can't Not yet. That. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so let me ask you this. How Okay, obviously, beating Arizona would have been ginormous for them for all the reasons you just yes. talked about with the yeah. quadrants yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I, I, I did watch the last couple of minutes, and the Will Richardson play was pretty – Amazing. I'm not trying to pile on the kid, but, uh, what were your thoughts on that situation? It, it seems to me they got a switch. He ended up on a, with a seven footer on him and a seven footer. If you're a smaller guard, yeah, you, you probably instinctually want to try and penetrate on him, but that was a situation where he clearly had to probably do a step back three and he didn't. What, like, what, what can you say based on what he said in terms of what happened in that moment? Did he just absolutely just forget the situation? Well, unfortunately, again, as is kind of customary here, um, you know, we don't, we don't hear from players, uh, after losses. We don't hear from players at this point. We almost never hear from players. Um, you know, vir- virtually none. Um, but after a loss, we don't. So this whole Arizona trip, we didn't hear from anybody, uh, other than Dana and what Dana had. Ex- and, and, and after the Arizona game, we didn't even have a press conference. It was just uh, about a minute and 40 seconds on the radio. So, um, what, what, you know, what Dana had said was that, you know, they got the look they wanted, uh, on that last play and that, uh, ultimately that, you know, he wasn't sure what, what Will was thinking, but, you know, but Will ended up just making a mistake there. From my two cents, you know, and, and that and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee. You know, it's not worth anything. Um, but my two cents, you know, having not been in the building and again, without, you know, the, the young man being able to speak for his own self in watching the play, um, obviously a couple times, I think it was a combination of a little bit of a little bit of indecision compounded by uh panic in that you're right. He got the big guy on him. They got the look that they wanted. I think it became, oh, I've got the room to shoot that. Like, oh, this is the guy I've matched up with. All right. I've got room to shoot it. Th- I, oh, now I've thought too long. 
oh boy, now he's getting closer. Now I'm going to do this crossover thing that, given the time on the clock, the crossover was a waste of time and, frankly, potentially puts the ball in jeopardy. Um, and it very nearly did. Now a big guy's got a body into him. So now, all right, I had the shot. I thought about it too long. I passed on the shot. I'm doing this maneuver that is of no consequence. Now he's into me. Oh, wait, now can I get the ball out? Oh, wait, but now there's the clock. And now, 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 like I say, rather than just streamline, take it or dish it over to Gary A for the three over there. We've now gone from, you know, very streamlined A and B to like, I'm already on to E, F, G, and H, and, and like everything is just blown up to hell in a handcart. <laughs> and I think it just, you know, I think it got away from him, is the long and short of it. Um, I think just for whatever reason, again, I, I can't speak to why he didn't. Um, and unfortunately didn't hear from Richardson, but again, it, in and of itself, even if they make the three, the game's going to overtime. You know, we can't, we can't act as though, you know, yeah, they were down two. If he hits a three, they win the game or something, or if he could have gotten to the line, like, no, no, no. It was about overtime still at that point. So to be clear, they did not lose the game because of the final play. Um, it would have just been to extend it anyway. There was obviously 39 minutes and 45 seconds played before that. That was rather consequential. But in terms of the final particular sequence there, yeah, it was just obviously not good. Um, not, not the way it was drawn up. And unfortunately for Oregon, the way it was drawn up, they they got the look they wanted. So that makes it more disappointing. Um, I think it's less about, like I say, I, th- I think for the Saturday loss for at Arizona, for all the things that it could have offered. Again, I think for for fans especially, it's less about the fact that they lost and more about the fact that where where was this all season? Where was that? play all season even when they went 10 and 1 over 11 games um you know they weren't necessarily playing like that um that they played you could argue that might have been the actual best game they really did play and not just cuz yeah Gary A shot the lights out and you know some you know somebody takes their game to that level all right well on a night he shot the lights out Jacob Young was a factor but there's been nights he's been a bigger factor and Devian Harmon played well, at times, but he, there's been many nights that he's been a bigger factor than he was there or, or at ASU. So, yes, it happened to be Gary on that night, but Richardson had played really well. Dante had a tremendous game, a tremendous game. Um, and especially his rebounding was what changed so much about that game on Saturday and what they were after the loss at ASU, where they were just decimated on the boards. That's the extremes of the weekend. That was the other part of it was. Not just of where was Saturday all season. Where was Saturday on Friday? When how costly Friday was. When, when, or Thursday, excuse me. Um, when you, when you lose a rebounding battle to a team who is one of the worst rebounding teams in the country. Um, and it has nothing to play for and everything else, you know, that happened at Arizona State. It wasn't just, oh, where was that effort and, and that caliber of play against Arizona against Cal or against Colorado or Stanford. Where was it two days earlier? Um, those are the things that I think for this fan base are just confounding um, and really frustrating it's about the team. It's just a wildly season. inconsistent team, you know? Yeah. And, you know, just because they play well at times doesn't mean that's supposed to be who they are. Maybe they're overachieving on those nights, you know? And that who they are is just a team that's wildly inconsistent. 
I, I think you that what your record says you are. There's something for that for sure, and I think there's also something to. Dana must go. No, I'm just kidding. No, I get out of here. I mean, I <laughs> think kidding, there's something about. Um, and again, I know it's like it's all college, so they're all young. But this is a. Again, the guys we're I've talking about most are, are are seniors or or older players. You know, transfers, those sorts of things. Just because you have that, you know, year next to you, doesn't necessarily mean you know that age is there. Because again, we're still talking about 22, 23. Like you're not. Let's let's not make it like you're a, a grizzled vet, uh, exactly. Um, I think when you talk about teams who I, I understand it's sport today, it's hard to get up for every game and stuff. But I, I, I get it, I do. But I think when you see that kind of swing based on the caliber of competition, mm-hmm. I think that just speaks to a level of competitive and emotional maturity that just you know. Is or isn't there from everybody, from everybody. Again, that's, I'm not pointing, I'm, I'm making that more of a, a, a holistic thing. Um, I'm not saying about any one player or any two or any five. No, I'm, I'm saying about a whole dynamic, a group dynamic. Um, that might very well be part of it. Uh, it is that the group dynamic hadn't matured enough and what, how and why that is. Well, that's, Something that I'll be tasked with examining here um, in the weeks ahead, if things end up going where they currently look like they're going. Um, again, if they get to Vegas and come up all sevens for three or four straight days, well, then hey, you know, then then they've redefined things, and and we look back at this as the um, you know some missed opportunities along the way and some real real landmines stepped on, but that they nevertheless miraculously pulled themselves out of it. Um, again, I can't say it's impossible because not, not only because yeah, theoretically, no, no, it's not impossible because they just played the best team in this league on the road to the final possession. There's no one in this league who they can feel intimidated by in that sense. They've beaten the LA schools already. They'll get them again this weekend. They've, you know, they at least split with Colorado. Cal, yeah, they played once. And all right, yes, yes. Credit to Cal on that night. They played a – they just beat them. Plain and simple. They played harder and they beat them. If anything, quite honestly, the first-round matchup you would least want to see if you're an Oregon fan is Arizona State. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> somehow, um, that team has they beaten Oregon the twice this season. Um, but short of them, quite honestly, there isn't anybody who – Oregon should really be intimidated by in any way, shape, or form. And they shouldn't be intimidated by Arizona State. It just they didn't play well against them either time. They are a physically big enough, strong enough, fast enough, talent, you know, athletic enough, um, talented enough team to beat any and every team in the Pac-12 conference. Which is part of why, you know, they were open the season as high in the rankings as they did and why, uh, after a 10 and one stretch that, you know, people were believing that they were, uh, you know, very capable of making a run in the tournament again. Um, so again, they have those things in, you know, to their credit. Could they make a run and assemble something together again? Yeah. Yeah. They could. Again, I'm not saying it will. I'm, I'm not trying to project that. Um, but for Ducks fans trying to hold out hope. 
on the men's basketball side of things, um, you do have, you do have some hope, um, left. I just think it, it's going to have to be in the Vegas variety, but this is a nice weekend ahead with the LA schools, final home games of the regular season for the Ducks. So, um, you know, hopefully some pretty good environments still at Matthew Knight, even, even though, you know, yes, some wind is taken out of the sails here after this last weekend. To the women's basketball side of things, where uh, I think, you know, it's a different kind of a uh, tone and tenor of the conversation because there, it's not a matter of whether or not that team's making the NCAA tournament. That's a, that's a lock. Um, it's a matter of will they be a top 16 national seed? Uh, they still need a win or a Utah loss and they actually play them um, on Saturday. So they, that could settle the argument entirely. Uh, but if they win beforehand, it's a moot point. To uh, clinch a top four seed, they could actually end up being the number two seed in the Pac-12, uh, in the Pac-12 tournament. And I think if they end up at two or three, that's really critical uh, for this team because at least for the conference tournament purposes, you do not want to have to play Stanford again until you absolutely have to and let that be the tournament final. If you have to play them, let it be the final, not a semifinal. Uh, because give yourself an opportunity to pick up two more positive data points before having to play Stanford. Um, and again, they're a team who this past weekend plays Stanford, has a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter, uh, and alas, you know, squanders it and gets away because Stanford is Stanford, Stanford. They're the reigning national champions with a bevy of veteran players <laughs> who, who know how to close out and win games. And they did it multiple times this past weekend. Uh, against both Oregon State and Oregon. So again, the Cardinal are who they are. They are that good. They don't beat themselves and they are rarely beaten. But, uh, Oregon gave them a, a run, a real run all the way to the end. But again, credit to, uh, credit to the Cardinal there for the game itself. To the big picture though, again, a season where even if they don't end up as a top 16 national seed, I view it as still at this point a success because they're, they dealt with the scale of injuries that they did early in the season. And some of the losses that they had, including their, their worst loss, along with some other, you know, quote unquote good losses, some missed opportunities came when they were without their best players. They really haven't had a truly, truly bad loss. The Oregon women and a other, you know, when, when fully healthy. Yes. Other than the UC Davis loss. Back in December, which I wrote at the time was going to be one that was going to be really costly. And I, I think it, I not only think it has been, I, it will be. It could be the thing that decides whether or not they're a top 16 seat. You lose to a team outside the top 100 at home. I don't care who's on the court for you or not. That's going to harm you. But outside of that, 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 that does not make or break the entire season. They've had a successful season. And they're also very talented. And again, they could end up with all these things we're talking about by way of where they'll end up on the bracket and who they'll play and those sorts of things. But first and foremost, uh, we're talking about how much you had a chance to catch on the men's side. How much of uh, <laughs> on this one? Well, just because they just had the Stanford game on Sunday. I didn't know if that was one that uh, crossed your uh, – I, I think I actually took a nap Sunday. <laughs> Couldn't blame you. Before, before the All-Star game, catching up on some sleep after travel. So yeah, I can't I can't claim to be well versed on where the Oregon women are. My apologies. Well, again, that's uh And Joel ordered time. me to take some time off. <laughs> so. Oh, there you go. Um so that well, like I say, they're uh they're still obviously a really talented team, one that uh has put themselves in position to host uh in the NCAA tournament. Now, just a wrinkle for for fans, 
to understand. If you want them to be a top 16 seed and thus host in the first two rounds, obviously you want them to win in the mountain schools this week and then go to Vegas, get at least two wins and then play Stanford in the final. And then wherever the chips fall, the chips fall. Um, but if they can go at least four and one, maybe even five and oh, and win the Pac-12 tournament, but if they win the conference tournament with it, yeah, I think they're they're locking themselves up to a top 16 national seed and hosting. However, I've written this a little bit, but wanted to explain it here um, just for, for folks who listen who may not necessarily read everything and vice versa. Um, if you want the Ducks to actually play, if they make the Sweet 16, one, if you want this, two, should they reach the Sweet 16 round? So now they're, you know, actually winning two games and doing that, which, you know, could happen regardless. And you want to see them in Spokane. Maybe your fans who are around the Portland area and going to Spokane is more, you know, more viable for you than, than coming down to Eugene or you're in Washington State and that's more viable for you. Um, then you actually want them to lose. Mm. Because the way of bracketing principles work for the NCAA tournaments is they're going to go by geography and aligning the one seeds naturally, the twos, the threes, the fours, the top 16 seeds all get that, you know, crop, you know, going in, you know, descending order by way of some geographic preference thrown in there. They'll bend the S curve at times to accommodate some of that. Sometimes where they also bend the S curve on both the men's and women's side is, Teams from the same conference cannot be assigned to the same region until a fifth team from that conference comes back around. So Stanford is going to be assigned to the West region. They're going to be assigned to the Spokane region. In order for Oregon to be in the Spokane region, they can't be in the top 16 seeds is what it means. Gotcha. Well, that's why I say I don't think if you're a Ducks fan, you're going to suddenly want them to actually lose both games of the Mountain Schools and then go one and done in the Pac-12 tournament. But that's what would kind of have to happen for them to be all the way dropped down to a national five seed or six, potentially, I guess, and end up in the Spokane Regional. Have to go on the road to play whoever in the first two rounds, but... Now, after wanting them to lose, now you want them to win two games on the road so that you can then see them in Spokane. That's a little bit circuitous logic, but I'm just explaining it to folks who might even begin to think in those terms. Or just folks who want to know why Spokane's not possible. It's not possible because Stanford's going there. And if you're a top 16 seed, like I say, they're not going to do that. Um, you're not going to have two teams from any of the same conferences. That's why in some of these past uh, top 16 seed unveils, you've seen the S-curve get broken at times because – well, how come this one got moved over here or vice versa? Because, well, they can't put a second SEC team with South Carolina or they can't put a second Big 12 team with whoever, uh, wherever we're talking about. So until a fifth team comes around, which almost never happens when we're talking, you know, five of the top 16 from one conference would be rather extreme. So that's why the Ducks are a mortal, a almost mortal lock not to end up in the Spokane Regional. They could host in the first two rounds of the top 16 seed. 
but then they are probably headed on the road to either, should they win that, to either Greensboro, South Carolina, Wichita, or Bridgeport, Connecticut, if they make it to the Sweet 16. So just for your logistical planning purposes, I know uh, Aaron will be very much tied up still with the NBA season at that point, but uh, for those of you who are considering uh, traveling for the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, if the Ducks host and then win their way through to the Sweet 16, they are more likely than not, like 99% more likely than not, to be going to be headed off. to, yeah, shipped <laughs> off to one of those three locales uh, and matched up with whoever. Um, but they're going to be shipped off to one of those three locales for a Sweet 16 matchup because, like I say, Spokane is, that's where Stanford is headed. No way, no how. That's just the way it's going to be. And therefore, a Pac-12 team isn't going to end up there with them unless they're outside the top 16 national seeds, the two, three, and four seeds for that region. So the Ducks fortunately find themselves in a position um, to uh, to be in that conversation. So this means they're not going to be headed to Spokane this year. You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. To uh, a football front, uh, given that's where we were talking last time, uh, and again, it was before signing day, and again, we were talking about position groups and the running back room and all kinds of things at the time, roughly a month ago. Well, Oregon ends up wrapping up uh, its first recruiting class of the Dan Lanning era uh, under the uh, very short timetable and circumstances that uh, that he and his staff had to work with, um, but they did so and end up doing more than just salvaging the class. They have a top 25 class. Uh, and when you factor in the transfers, and they add an additional one this past week out of the portal in Chase Coda, uh, obviously an Oregon native and uh, legacy, uh, and also you know a veteran player from uh, within the Pac-12 from UCLA, even more than just saying top 25 uh, from the high school ranks, uh, few, fewer players there in this class for Oregon, understandably so under the circumstances. But your thoughts, Aaron, on, like I say, we were talking about this a little bit last time uh, before uh, we took this uh, break here, but on the fact that, yeah, that Lanning and, and his staff managed to cobble together and assemble a class that is going to end up, yeah, on the, on basically in the top 25. And then when you factor in the transfers, you know, even better than that, on a very, very narrow time window. So, I mean, obviously, I think they did a solid job. <clears throat> um, I remember, and of course, a different situation, but I, I remember Mario sort of salvaging a class that I think mm -hmm. finished in the teens after Taggart left, right? 18, 17, something like that. Mm -hmm. But again, we're talking about a couple of three-star kids being four-star kids, right? So sometimes it's just, it's literally that. If two more kids were four instead of three, then Oregon's probably 20. Right? And they may and, and they, they may not be done. Right. Yeah. And so you never really know, like, until we see these guys perform and who pans out, who doesn't. But if you're starting from a standpoint of, okay, after everything that happened, we finished 25th, I think that's fine. Now, I, I think it also is worth pointing out that Cristobal had the same situation in Miami, and he pulled off a class rank 15th, I'm, I'm seeing here, with 10 four-star kids compared to mm -hmm. seven for Oregon. I'm not sure if that's a fair comparison or not, but 
I would obviously say Mario did a better job from a ranking standpoint, but I think he also maybe inherited a better situation since he was the incoming, oh my God, we're so happy we stole him as opposed to Oregon, which was devastated by losing a coach and then having to rally by finding another coach who then had to sort of turn things around. So it's a little different situation, but I think it was solid, but you know, I, I, I can't act like it was an amazing job. I think they did a good job. Yeah, I think that as a whole, given where they found themselves and the amount of decommitments that took place, uh, I remember especially going back to December, you know, the immediate angst when all the decommitments were coming in was not just that it was happening, but that they were all going to go to Miami. Well, (laughs) turns out, none of them. Only a few, right? None? Nobody. Nobody at all? I thought there was at least a lineman, no? None of the players who actually decommitted. Oh, just some of the ones who hadn't committed yet. That Mark Cyrus, was recruiting Cyrus Moss. Gotcha. Cyrus Moss gotcha. had said said himself. I mean, this isn't. There's no ambiguity here. Literally said himself after signing with Miami. I would not have signed with Miami. I was going to sign with Oregon. I signed because of Coach Cristobal had been recruiting me this whole time. I was set to sign with Oregon. So right, but know, he wasn't a decommit. He was just no. He was just a, you know yes, he right. was a target all gotcha. the way to the you know to the end. Um, gotcha. They also had a. Uh, a, actually, a player from South Florida who was set to come to Oregon and then ended up going, you know, five minutes down the road, uh, to Miami, but he was set also again to go to Oregon. Um, but ended up staying, not decommitted, but nevertheless, you know, a bit of a reversal of where things were headed for the decommits right. though. They basically all ended up just staying closer to home. And most of those guys were the guys out of Texas. And Kelvin Banks is the most costly of the whole group, um, certainly. But he ends up going to Texas uh, and losing some of the guys that they did again elsewhere was, you know, Oklahoma State and Arkansas. And uh, again, I mentioned Texas. So, yes, they lost decommits, but nobody ended up following my, you know, Mario to Miami from the recruiting side of things. Um, yes, they had alignment in um, uh, Logan, who ended up transferring and going in the portal and going to Miami. And right. but everybody else went to the portal in December and early January. More of them went to Auburn because they're from Alabama and they were considering Auburn out of high school, and then they just end up going there. So it was not this mass exodus for all the players who who did leave, either decommit or or those who went in the portal. It wasn't to follow Mario. And, and by the way, how many of them did Mario him. want? How many the, did Mario want? Was he well, I can't them? speak to. I mean, every which yeah. I know they cer- they certainly offered a couple who did go in the portal. They did, yeah. um, Miami did. But having said that, that isn't. By the way, that isn't knocking anybody either yeah. way. That's just contextualizing that. Right after Mario left, the angst out there from the masses was, oh, he's going to leave, and he's going to take. Every- it's going to be Lincoln Riley. It's going to be right. you know everyone's <laughs> out the door, and they're all going to follow him. No, you know, and I'd said at the time, like, you know, the world will keep spinning. I promise. Like, things will be okay. Like, and guess what? Even if they all did, Oregon was still going to manage to field a team with eighty-five scholarship players on the. You know, like it was. <laughs> you know, the the it wasn't going to quite be that level of implosion. Um, so be that as it may, uh, to the recruiting class and finishing up with um. Top 25, but then when you factor in the transfers, like I say, kind of fringe top 20, and then, like I say, that might not be done. Um, then 
yeah, I think they've done more than just a, a solid job, you know, really quite an admiral job to be able to do that and really be able to turn it around in about three weeks from the end of the national championship game and the start of the contact period at that point uh, into the February signing period to be able to pull that off in that narrow window. That's outstanding. Um, so the rankings themselves, you know, yeah, where they were, where they are, all that. I'm, I'm less caught up in whether or not this was a top 10 or a top 15 or a top 20 or a top 25 class more about amid all the churn that this staff was able to, you know, it dropped at one point. It was, I believe not just, yeah, it was like in the high sixties, but that was with a few recruits. So, right. But point is, is that's where it was. So like that is where it was. Yes, they did have to basically reassemble 75% of the class. Um, and, you know, credit to him. And by the way, ended up getting a couple of guys who had decommitted to recommit. And that started with the recruiting class. And then it obviously carried over also to the roster and the guys who went in the portal who they managed to talk out of being in the portal. Uh, and McGee and Dollars in particular. We talked about that last time. So, you know, as a whole, player acquisition and retention, um, not saying they didn't lose anybody of consequence. They certainly did. Um, but, and the very, very immediate turnaround and churn and everything that took place here. Uh, they certainly give a lot of credit to Lanning and his staff for being able to accomplish what they did in the time window that they did it. Now, what that means, you know, for the next recruiting class and what does that mean for the future? That's for, again, that we'll get into that more in the, you know, months ahead. And that's really, like I say, really where, uh, where Nemec's bread is buttered. So we let him, uh, Delve into all those kind of recruiting topics and that kind the of the 2023 class is ranked 32nd with one commit. They're crushing it. Yeah, I was going to say with yeah, <laughs> one, one with with two weeks into you know two weeks past signing yeah. day, we're, we're, yeah. we're drilling. Cole into Martin weeks. is carrying the 2023 class. So what's what's cool about the fact that okay, this isn't a top 10 class or a class in the teens is that you shouldn't have to rely on very many people in this class for a few years if all these other hype classes that Mario put together are were legit classes because those players are still maturing within the program and they should be running the show the next couple of years. So whatever is in this class really shouldn't be that big of a deal impact-wise until a couple years down the road. And Lanning can come back over the top next year with a much better class. So you can kind of... And again, if we're saying that this 25th rank class is a true 25th rank class and won't develop into producing a top 10 level of, of talent, the bottom line is that it can be sort of overcome by what's been recruited before it and what comes after it. So then it kind of just blends into the mixture. Right. And, and and now with the one-time transfer in the portal at a higher rate, it's probably much, not probably, is easier to overcome Um classes like that and again we're talking about still top 25 um class it's easier to um kind of balance out everything uh with, with something like that when you have, particularly the transfers help that in a big way so as i say um you know that'll be something for for the future that we'll examine in more detail but as a whole in the short term quite a bit of success uh as a whole for for landing in the staff before and they got we, a running uh, back, they needed a running back. They did. They, they, they did. They needed one. They and got they one. Added and Coda. They needed a little veteran wide receiver presence. That's nice to get. I think. Yeah, it's probably no. probably not going to start necessarily, but 
doesn't have to in order to be successful for what they needed for the room. Yeah. Yeah. At least you have someone who's a vet, been there, done that, can provide some production and maybe some veteran leadership while those youngsters still blossom, but they clearly have a lot of talent. You've you've titled those young kids and they looked the part last year for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, so a lot to look forward to there. And believe it or not, um, spring practice is just 16 days away. Whoa. So we will, uh, you know, before you know it, we'll be talking about the, you know, what the roster looks like here in the spring and, and whatnot. Now, again, there's not a lot of young players on the very first couple of practices. There are going to be some additional freshman additions who come in during spring break. So on the, you know, that, oddly enough, they're doing two practices before break and then 13 after. So we'll, we'll be able to go probably a little bit more at length, um, for the lion's share of spring practice. But for the first two practices, it'll be, uh, which are t-shirts only and everything else. And then they're going on during the Pac-12 men's tournament and stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> not a lot will be gleaned necessarily from those first two anyway, but that is it may. That's only 16 days away. Before we, uh, wrap up here on this edition of the podcast, uh, this week, I just want to mention in passing, it is, you know, very early in the season to be clear. So we're not going to drill into this to the nth degree, but the start of the spring sports season. So Oregon baseball and softball beginning their seasons and getting underway. Oregon baseball getting off to a little bit of a rocky start, 0-3 uh, at San Diego, but then capping it with uh, a football-like score uh, in a 21-11 to win over San Diego in eight innings where they scored 12 runs. They dropped runs. 12 in an inning, right? Yeah. 12 runs in the eighth inning, uh, a program record. So uh, That's just running it up. A tough a tough weekend in that it ends up at 1-3, and three, but um, one where, you know, Better to end it with that kind of a caliber of a win at the end. Uh, the Ducks open at home uh, for baseball here on Friday at PK Park. So I'll be over there for that one on, on Friday, and there'll be a four-game series against St. John's uh, out of New York. So that'll be a fun one uh, this weekend at PK. And then on the softball side of things, Oregon softball starting off 8-1 and one, uh, to their season. They got a, um, a series win at Baylor this past weekend. Uh, Baylor always, uh, his, you know, the last – 10, 15, 20 years, a really successful program. Uh, not nationally ranked so far this season, but uh, the Ducks, again, go 8-1 and so far, uh, about as good as one could reasonably ask for, uh, certainly. And they've been doing it without their All-American pitcher, uh, Brooke Yanez, available just yet. Uh, so, so far, uh, again, a nice start for a top 15 team there uh, for Oregon softball as well. And again, we'll get more into the spring sports as we get deeper into the spring, but, you know, mentioning that at the start of the seasons. And with that, that will uh, conclude this edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. Uh, appreciate everybody for listening and uh, subscribing already. And the point is, is if you subscribe, then you don't have to worry about when we take a little bit of a break here, uh, then you just get the next episode dropping in. And it was like, we never left. For those who already <laughs> do that, hey, you know, you're ahead of the curve. But for everybody else, a reminder, you know, like, subscribe, etc. So that way it drops right in for you on your phone, mobile device, etc. Uh, wherever it is that you get your podcast, make sure to give us, you know, likes, reviews, all those fine things. So that way it helps more people find it as well. So with that, that'll wrap up this edition of the podcast. I'm James Crepe and he is Aaron Fentress and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>